welcome to the Linnaean Society of London. If you know the extension of the... Please wait a moment. Hello, my name is Mark Spencer and I am the honorary curator of the Smith and Linnaean Hibariums here at the Linnaean Society of London. My role is to look after the Society's collection of dried plant specimens that were compiled by Linnaeus and James Edward Smith. Each herbarium is compiled of between 12 and 25,000 specimens of plant which are dried on pieces of paper sheet with labels describing where they're from and who they were collected by and they're the basis of our understanding of plant diversity on this planet. It's not a pretty fungus, though we have them still in the collection of the Linnaean Society. It's quite hard to describe, but when it's fully sporing, it's like a, oh, a mouldy black cucumber sticking out of the ground. Uh, I really can't fight. It's an extraordinary thing to describe, but it is fascinating because each one of these club-shaped structures is covered in millions upon millions upon millions of these black spores. One of the things about my hero, Carl Linnaeus, is he was truly fantastic when it came to many aspects of the natural world, but there were one group of organisms that he was probably not so sharp on, and that was fungi. For some reason, I think, was probably somewhat overwhelmed by the diversity of fungi on land, which is not surprising. He came from Sweden, and the forests of Sweden were full of diversity of fungal organisms. Um, and it's not just him, many scientists of the 17th, 18th and even into the early 19th century really struggled with fungi. They were in essence quite transient, a mushroom pops out of the ground, it's there, you see it, you might collect some to eat it, but in essence they're very, very hard to keep and hold. I can find a shell on a seashore or I can press a plant specimen and I can keep it in my collection very easy. I can study it afterwards. Fungi don't behave very well when it comes to that respect. They have a horrible tendency. You might collect fungus in a wood, bring it back home, and within a day or so it'll be full of maggots, it'll be rotting, it'll be smelling, it'll have turned to slime. They're really quite difficult to deal with if you're a collector of objects from the natural world. So Linnaeus, like many other people in his era, probably to a certain extent just lumped lots of fungi into large groups because frankly it was easier. However, there was one fungus that he received a sample of which is a really, really fascinating thing. And that's called podaxis, as we call it now. Now, podaxis is really quite an extraordinary fungus because most fungi that we think of, you know, in our northern European homes with our kind of wet weather in the winter of being us Brits, we tend to think as fungi of being organisms of wet environments. In fact, there are lots of fungi that are adapted to very arid and semi-arid conditions. And Podaxis is one of these things. 
But like lots of fungi, it's still quite unpredictable. You can look at a piece of sort of desert for, you know, 10, 20 years and nothing will happen. And then all of a sudden, sometimes after a little bit of rain, these strange club-shaped fungi erupting out of the ground. Now, the reason they do this is because this environment is very, very difficult. Find it sometimes quite hard to keep hold of the moisture, so it spends most of its life history underground. And it really has to wait till the environment is a particularly right condition for a fruiting body to emerge out of the ground and release its spores into the air. So it's, it's quite a subtle mechanism that results in, frankly, when it's fully developed, a rather ugly looking thing. One of the really extraordinary things about Padaxis is its oddness is so profound that for most of the last 200 years or so, we have been completely fooled about what it was related to. It looks rather, as I say, kind of like this sort of club-shaped thing. And because of the form of its body, we thought it was related to a group of fungi that we would think of as the puffballs and the earthballs. These tend to be round, sort of blobby mushrooms that when you break them up have got these huge massive spores. They don't look mushroomy as such. However, the DNA revolution, so to speak, of the last 20 years has shown that we've got it completely wrong. In fact, Podaxis is really quite closely related to that mushroom you've got in your fridge. Agaricus. It just so happens that the intensely dry environment they lives in has meant that its body plan has completely shifted away from the mushroom you find um, in the shops. And you know, if you look at an ordinary mushroom, you see a cap, you see a dome, you see a crinkle, and underneath you've got these dark brown gills where all the spores come out. In the case of Podaxis, essentially the gill spore bit has covered the whole surface of the fruiting body to just form this dense cylinder that I described. The thing today about Podaxis is that we're starting to really realise how complex and sophisticated their relationships with termites are. So a few years ago, um, I assisted a group of researchers who are working based from Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, and also Southern Africa in giving them some material from our historic collections so they could study the material of Linnaeus and his son, as well as comparing that with modern day material. Now, one of the things these researchers are working on is the fact they've realized that Podaxis is much, much more diverse than we realized in places like Africa and we are realising how little we know about them. 